Hello everyone and welcome back to Hungry for History and a happy Halloween to all of you. In honor of Halloween and the end of October, I'm going to tell one of my favorite stories of all time. This is a creepy story. In some ways, it's also a tale of love. Today, I'm going to talk about the Romanov family and the death of the famous Grigory Rasputin. This story doesn't actually start in Russia. Most of what I want to talk about today did take place in Russia at the beginning of the 20th century, but to get there, we first need to go back to England in the 1800s with Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria very famously was the carrier of a genetic illness called hemophilia. I talk a lot about royal illnesses because it is so funny how the most powerful people in the world in history happened to have some of the worst illnesses from inbreeding. This is not one of those illnesses. In this case, Queen Victoria actually just got very unlucky. This had nothing to do with inbreeding. So what is hemophilia? Hemophilia is a genetic illness that causes somebody's blood to basically just not clot. Imagine you get a paper cut on your thumb. That could bleed for hours. If you get a bruise and you're bleeding internally, you could bleed out and die. Hemophilia is dangerous even with modern medicine today, and it was even worse back in the 1800s. When Queen Victoria first became a carrier for hemophilia, scientists and doctors didn't know what caused it or how it happened. So there was really nothing that they could do back in the 19th century. Hemophilia is a sex-linked genetic illness. What that means is that hemophilia is carried on the X chromosome. Hemophilia is a recessive illness, which means that all of your X chromosomes have to be affected in order for you to be sick. If you take a moment to think about that, you'll understand that hemophilia mostly affected men. We can see the example of this in Queen Victoria and her children. Queen Victoria likely suffered, as she was a fetus, a genetic mutation that caused one of her X chromosomes to be affected with hemophilia. Queen Victoria herself was not sick because she had a healthy X chromosome, because women have two X chromosomes. So she was just a carrier. However, she was also a Queen of England and had a ton of children. And these children married into many royal houses in Europe. Queen Victoria had nine children, four sons and five daughters. And actually, overall, she and her family got pretty lucky if you consider that there is a 50% chance that she would have passed that affected X chromosome down to each of those children. Only three of her children that we know of were actually affected. Two of her daughters, Alice and Beatrice, received Queen Victoria's X chromosome that was affected with hemophilia. But they were women, and they also had a second X chromosome that was healthy. So they were not affected, but they were carriers. Nobody knew how carrying worked at this time. Our understanding of genetics was very limited back then. People only really became aware of the disease in the royal family because one of Queen Victoria's sons received that same X chromosome. And because he was male and he only had the one X, he did have hemophilia. His name was Leopold. Leopold actually made it to age 30, um, which was pretty good for a hemophiliac back in the 19th century, where every bruise and bump and scrape could be a total disaster. Leopold died at age 30. By then, he had also married and had children, 
and his two sisters, who were carriers for hemophilia, Alice and Beatrice, had children. In this second generation after Victoria is when the problem of royal hemophilia really became apparent. Beatrice and Alice both married princes from different parts of Germany. Through their descendants and the descendants of Leopold, hemophilia seriously impacted the royalty of Prussia, Russia, England, of course, multiple German provinces, Spain, and more. Actually, it totally destroyed the Spanish monarchy, but that's a story for another time. Anyway, as Beatrice and Alice and Leopold had children, many of their children either were hemophiliacs who unfortunately did not live very long, or carriers who continued to marry into the royal houses of Europe. And it took a couple of generations before people figured out the pattern. By the time we get to where our story for today centers, people had started to figure out that something to do with Queen Victoria and her descendants was causing hemophilia and that it mainly affected men. But that's really all they knew. The carrier who matters for our story today is Alexandra Feodorovna, who was a German princess and a granddaughter of Queen Victoria through Victoria's daughter Alice. Alexandra was not known to be a carrier when she married a very important and influential man. She married Tsar Nicholas Romanov II, who had just been crowned Tsar of Russia when his father died in 1894. Nicholas and Alexandra got married in 1896, and from then on, disaster sort of dogged them and their family until the eventual downfall of the Russian monarchy in 1917. They loved each other very much. They were very close. Most royal marriages were based only on political alliances, and while this one, of course, was a strong political match, Nicholas and Alexander really did love each other. The love letters that they exchanged throughout their courtship period and throughout their marriage have been really well preserved, and so they and their family were very happy. However, they may have loved each other, but the Russian people did not love them. Right after they were coronated in 1896, they had told a bunch of their people that they were hosting a feast outside. Somehow, a rumor got out that there would not be enough food to go around at this feast. A massive stampede ensued, and right after their coronation, a thousand people were trampled to death in the Kodinka field outside where they had just been crowned. Now, the bigger issue wasn't just that, of course, now their reign was starting on the heels of this massive tragedy. The bigger problem was that a bunch of really important French ambassadors happened to be in town that day. And though the Tsar and Tsarina, Nicholas and Alexandra, of course, wanted to cancel the ball that had been designed to host these ambassadors, a couple of their advisors told them not to, told them to have the ball anyway. And so Nicholas and Alexandra, a few hours after a thousand or more of their subjects had just died in a bloody way in the field, threw a party. The damage that that did to their reputation and their popularity with their people was never undone. And as the 20th century began and workers' rights and anti-monarchical thoughts began to become ingrained in the Russian population... Nicholas and Alexandra really struggled to maintain their popularity. I could write an entire paper, maybe 10 papers, on all the ways that Nicholas and Alexandra screwed up, royally screwed up, you could say. They were both 
big believers in the so-called divine right of kings, which sort of means that kings are kings not because they deserve to be kings through the affections of their people, but just because of the way that they are born, because they have been chosen by God. Basically, what that means is that they thought they could do whatever they want, screw the public, screw people's opinions, those opinions didn't matter, and that's how they lived their life and wielded their power. That's really their downfall. I'm going to focus, though, today on hemophilia and Rasputin, because those are really the fun parts of how Nicholas and Alexandra destroyed the country. After they were married, Nicholas and Alexandra had five children. They had four daughters, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia. Anastasia's the famous one. I'll talk about why a little bit later. And they also had one son, their youngest child, Alexei. Alexei was the crown prince. I've mentioned before in my podcasts how royals always wanted to have an heir and a spare. This was especially true in Russia at this time, where women were considered a lot less useful as royal heirs than in other parts of the world, where, for example, in England, having the throne passed to a woman was a lot less shocking after Victoria than it would have been in other countries. So the Tsar and Tsarina only had one male heir, Alexei, who was called the Tsarevich, which means son of the Tsar. In this case, we'll use it as crown prince. And the problem with that was that Alexei had hemophilia. When he was born, they immediately knew he had hemophilia because he bled from his umbilical cord for two days. So he bled out of his belly button and nothing they would do would stop the bleeding. He eventually recovered from that. But in the early years of his childhood, He was constantly ill from some various small bump or scrape that a normal child would have easily recovered from. So Nicholas and Alexandra were constantly at their wits' end, terrified for their son. Pretty much every doctor who meant anything in Russia was consulted and tried to come in and help Alexei, and nothing worked. Until one very unusual man came forward. His name was Grigory Rasputin. He claimed to be a sort of mystic, a healer with magical God-given powers who could heal somebody just by placing his hands on them. Because of this, Rasputin was considered a heretic by the church. There were other things about him that were a bit unseemly. He did too much drinking, too much partying, and not enough showering. He did not smell very good. He was a bit disgusting. He was known for womanizing and throwing parties all the time and Overall, just not being a good Christian. However, one day when Alexei was very, very ill, Rasputin turned up at the palace, told the Tsar and Tsarina that he could help their son, and they were so desperate that they allowed him into Alexei's room, and actually, Alexei recovered. After that, Rasputin could have done anything and the Tsar and Tsarina would have defended him, and he did. He became a trusted confidant of theirs. They took his advice on political matters. And most importantly, he was always there to help Alexei. Over the years, Rasputin's position and influence on the royal family became more and more of a problem for everybody else in Russia. The church despised him. All of that drinking, womanizing, partying. And even the family members of Nicholas and Alexandra couldn't stand the man. Overall, he was creepy and off-putting, but for some reason it seemed that he was the only person who could help Alexei. In 1912, Alexei had been riding a horse, and the 
Impact of the horse's body with his inner thigh caused internal bleeding and bruising that again in us would just be a bruise, but in Alexei was life-threatening. Every doctor in the Imperial Palace thought that the Tsarevich would die. Rasputin was brought in. He'd actually just told the Tsarina not to worry and that Alexei would recover. He came into Alexei's room, spoke to him, and a few days later the prince was back to normal. There's absolutely no explanation for it. Even modern historians have tried to figure out why Rasputin had such a powerful effect on the Tsarevich, and we haven't come up with anything. So nobody knows, but the truth of it was that for some reason, Rasputin made a difference for Alexei. Maybe this would all have been fine. But in 1914, a little problem happened in Europe called World War I. And if you don't know, Russia and Germany were on opposite sides of World War I. If you'll recall, Alexandra, the Tsarina, had been a German princess before she married Nicholas. She had already been unpopular with the Russian public, but now she was especially unpopular. Rumors started to fly that she was having an affair with Rasputin, anything that would damage her reputation. The things that were written about her in the press and the things that circulated around were absolutely horrible. And especially because she and Rasputin were so bonded over Alexei, a lot of people believed that they were having an affair. Probably that's completely untrue. All historical evidence suggests that she and Nicholas were completely devoted to each other, but it worked to damage her reputation. Again, this might have been okay, except that Tsar Nicholas II was really not the sharpest knife in the drawer. When Russia became more involved in World War II, he decided, even though he had no military experience, expertise, or even any good ideas, that he would go directly to the Russian front, the Russian front in their war with Germany, and lead the troops himself. So basically, for pretty much no reason, he left Russia, went to the front, and left the governance of the country in the hands of his really unpopular hated wife, who by then was called the German whore, and... Rasputin. I also want to note here that Rasputin was from a poor background. He came from an impoverished province in Russia, and his family was of no note. Russia at this time was very elitist, and it really mattered to a lot of people what nobility status your level of birth was. And so Rasputin's being very poor, and him rising so high anyway, irked a lot of people, none less so than the Tsar's family. So for the year that Nicholas was on the front, 1915 to 1916, Rasputin's power and influence in Russia was really causing problems for the royal family. It didn't help that Russia was losing the war. <laughs> Nicholas's presence and commanding was not doing anything for them. In 1916, one of Nicholas's cousins, a man named Prince Felix Yusupov, decided that enough was enough, and he was going to take the Rasputin matter into his own hands. He was going to solve this problem. So he did what anyone would do, and he invited Rasputin to a dinner party at his house. It was December 30th, 1916, the end of the year. I don't know why Rasputin went to this party. He knew that Prince Felix Yusupov hated him. He knew that there had been assassination attempts on his life before, Maybe he thought that his status as a holy man or a miracle man would protect him from whatever Felix could have in store. So Felix welcomed Rasputin into his home, 
and told him to go downstairs into the basement where there were a lot of hors d'oeuvres set out and to help himself. And so Rasputin went down and started, you know, eating the deviled eggs and the cakes. Everything put in front of Rasputin was laced with poison, all of it. But Rasputin, for some reason, was totally fine. He was eating the cakes, and of course they made his mouth dry, so he asked Felix for some wine, and Felix gave him wine to wash it all down. The wine was poisoned too. So Felix had to hang out with Rasputin in the basement for a while, watching this guy that he hated eat his poisoned food and drink his poisoned wine and not die. Eventually, he got fed up with this and went upstairs to where all his friends were, and he was like, hey guys, slight problem, Rasputin is eating and drinking, and he's still alive. And they were like, hey, we don't have time for this. Just go shoot the guy. So Felix walked back downstairs to the basement, said something rude to Rasputin to rub it all in, and shot him. Just like that. He went back upstairs to tell his friends that he'd shot Rasputin. Presumably they already knew that, since guns tend to be kind of loud. And he asked them to help him get rid of the body. So they all trooped downstairs into the basement, to the puddle of blood, and Rasputin was nowhere to be found. The back door, the screen door was open. They went out into the garden and they found Rasputin trying to get away, obviously bleeding heavily. Rasputin actually threw a punch at them or something like that, was still strong enough to fight back. So of course they shot the guy again. They shot him a total of three times. They were dragging Rasputin over to the trunk of Felix's car to dispose of him, and for some reason, Rasputin seemed to still be alive. He was still moving or twitching or something like that. So for good measure, they beat him up, and then they put him on the ground. They backed the car over him and then drove the car forward over him again, stuffed him back in the trunk because he looked pretty dead then, and then went and threw his body into the river that runs through St. Petersburg. And that was that. Eventually, Rasputin's body was found, and... An autopsy was done, of course, because Alexandra was furious and beside herself. The initial autopsy report, which of course now we're all historians here, it has since been disputed, so we don't really know, but the initial autopsy report had said that they found water inside Rasputin's lungs, which would mean that he was alive when he went into the river and that actually, after being poisoned, shot, shot again, shot a third time, run over twice and beat up, he actually died of drowning. Either way, the end result of all this was that by 1917, Rasputin was very dead. The royal family was distraught. Nicholas had come back from the front by this point, but it was too late. Things in Russia were already a disaster. Everybody hated the Tsar and the royal family. Everybody especially hated his wife, the Tsarina. And after revolutions in February of 1917, in March of that year, Tsar Nicholas II was forced to abdicate. He had to give up his throne because politically he just couldn't hold it anymore. The Romanov family was then held in a nice house in captivity. Famously, in October, there was another revolution where the government that had initially formed after Nicholas abdicated, the Menshevik government, was overthrown by the Bolshevik government. Again, whole books have been written about just this one year in Russia, but the thing to know is that the Romanov family was imprisoned from March 1917 to July 1918. In July 1918, Vladimir Lenin, who was at that point in charge of Russia, decided that it was too risky to still have the Romanovs alive. 
Somewhere in Russia, there were certainly still loyalists who were loyal to the monarchy, who would have happily seen the Tsar's family reinstated. And so Lenin decided to murder all of them. They were taken down into the basement of their house that they'd been imprisoned in, and all of them were shot. The conspirators also shot the Romanov's servants, including a butler, their cook, and even their dogs. So it was just a horrible, horrible massacre scene in the basement. It's actually been called sort of a metaphor for why the monarchy came to an end, because the Tsar and Tsarevich died very quickly. Of course, Alexei could not have survived a bullet wound, but it was harder for the conspirators to kill the Tsarina and the princesses because there were so many jewels sewn into their garments that a lot of the bullets ricocheted initially. So that just sort of goes to show that even in their captivity, the royal family and the Romanov family still hadn't learned that it was their wealth and greed and selfishness that had led to their downfall. Anastasia is sort of famous because of this murder. She was the youngest daughter of Nicholas and Alexandra, and after the family was murdered, they were buried in a mass grave. With an exception, when the bodies were eventually found years and years after the murder and they were exhumed, a princess was missing from the mass grave. This sent the country into sort of an uproar because everybody was saying, hey, where's Anastasia? Maybe she's alive. Maybe she survived. There's actually a fantastic animated movie about her, uh, completely historically inaccurate, but has great songs called Anastasia. So she became very famous. She was the lost Romanov, the missing princess. People were claiming to be Anastasia left and right. People had actually held auditions to try to find an Anastasia lookalike, to try to claim her power, things like that. Unfortunately, it turns out that in July 1918, Anastasia definitely very much died with the rest of her family. Her body was eventually found. For some reason, it had just been buried separately, not with the rest of the Romanovs. The body of the missing princess was eventually found. It had been buried separately, not with the other Romanovs. I've got no idea why. But funnily enough, when the missing princess was found, it turned out that the princess who hadn't been in that mass grave was actually not Anastasia, but her sister Tatiana. Anastasia's body had been accounted for the whole time, and Tatiana had been the one missing. Both of them were dead, though. As far as hemophilia goes... Of course, the Romanov children never lived long enough to have children of their own, but genetic testing indicates that Maria was probably a carrier for hemophilia, though the other daughters probably weren't. For a long time, hemophilia was actually called the royal disease. It was such a big deal that it spread all over Europe by the turn of the 20th century and that so many royal families, a lot of whom were struggling with similar issues with the Romanovs of people becoming disillusioned with royal power, were dealing with this debilitating, always fatal genetic illness. So hemophilia is very interesting. I may make another episode at some point about how it destroyed the Spanish monarchy, because I think that's a great story. But what I want to stress here is that while Nicholas and Alexandra made countless mistakes as they ruled Russia, hemophilia played a huge part in the downfall of their family. If Alexei hadn't been a hemophiliac, Rasputin would never have grown to the power that he did, and it's possible that maybe the Romanov family would have held on to power, at least for a little bit longer. 
that's all I have for today. Um, I may discuss hemophilia again at some point. I will definitely have more information about Rasputin, including some great pictures up on my website, as well as a link to the Anastasia movie, which truly I do love, despite its historical inaccuracies. Thank you all for listening, and I will be back with more soon next month.